From MPB Think Radio, this is Creature Comforts, the show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Today in studio, we have Kathy Costello, who has an upcoming talk at the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. It's called Why Snakes Are Important to Humans, Ecological, Medical, and Economic Benefits. Today, she's going to share about how snake venom is being used to fight human diseases and is being used in pain management. Might even be surprised how snake venom is already having an impact on your life. So join our conversation this morning with questions. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number is one 672 or send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. You're listening to Creature Comforts from MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. And we're visiting today in studio with Kathy Costello, who has an upcoming talk at the museum called Why Snakes Are Important to Humans, Ecological, Medical, and Economic Benefits. So we'll be talking about snakes today. If you have a comment or a question, you can give us a call. The phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 You can send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. Always like to remind you that if you miss Creature Comforts on Thursday, it does repeat Saturday mornings at 6, so two chances each week to hear the show. So good morning. Hope that you're both doing well this morning. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, Libby, let's uh, start off uh, talking about some upcoming events at the museum. Yes. Okay. Um, Saturday night, July the 29th, is the goodbye to summer. 5 o'clock to 7.30 in the afternoon. I guess it's that afternoon or evening. That's kind of That's what to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's a chance to get your kids out to the museum one more time. And, uh, of course, the dinosaur exhibit is there, Be the Dinosaur. So they get to play around with a lot of, uh, of interesting stuff about dinosaurs and see the aquariums and there's music. There's all kinds of um, new activities and music and lots of fun things for them to do. Okay. Food, too. They're food trucks, so you don't have to feed them before you come. All right. Very good. And then Tuesday, August the 1st, is our guest today, Kathy Costello, is going to be doing a lecture at the museum. So it's a, a continuation and expansion of what we'll be talking about today at noon on um, August the 1st, Tuesday. So that's this coming Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And uh, why snakes are important to humans. All right. And we'll give you an introduction to that today. And then that next day, Wednesday, August the 2nd, they got a lot going on this week. I guess this is some of the blowout at the end of the summer. So Wednesday, August the 2nd is a a film and filmmaker event. And it's a a female filmmaker who made a film about Marie Curie. And you will watch... uh, 20-minute film about Marie Curie, and then there'll be a question and answer kind of a deal with the filmmaker. So um, it's um, adult and young people. I think older older children would be very interested. Anybody that's interested in filmmaking or mm-hmm. interested in science, and uh, Marie Curie is the only person that 
uh, I believe that everyone in two completely different categories. She won a physics Nobel Prize and a chemistry Nobel Prize. Mm-hmm. But you're right. That would be interesting, both uh, for learning about Mary Curie, but um, um, but also, as you say, being able to talk to a filmmaker. So if uh, the folks are interested in that, uh, kind of a double a double yes, whammy on that one. Definitely. Uh, we occasionally like to remind folks about uh, how to get in touch with the museum and where it's located. And it's at the corner of 55 and Lakeland Drive, I always say, or Highway 25, I guess, however you want to talk about it, uh, kind of across. Highway 55 from um, St. Dominic's Hospital, mm-hmm. close to the Children's Museum, really. We're sort of next-door neighbors, right. and then the Ag Museum is right across Lakeland. So it's a, it's a great place to come spend the day. Saturday, it sure would be fun to just go spend the day out there. Mm-hmm. All right, very good. As we mentioned, our guest today is Kathy Costello. Kathy, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. If you would tell us a little bit about your background. Well, I'm a master naturalist. I've been a master naturalist for about three years now. And a master naturalist is simply someone who is very um, interested and concerned about Mississippi or their local natural resources and want to learn about the management tools for protecting them. And then we work in the community uh, through volunteer service to share the knowledge that we've gained. Um, and if it's, it's a, a class that you take, I guess, if you could uh, just give us an idea about uh, some of the things that you learn about and that you do during the class. Oh, we do some really exciting things. There's a, a some classroom lessons, and then there are some field trips. You'll learn everything from dirt and paleontology to um, herpetology, ornithology, uh, botany. So it's a little bit about every kind of natural resource that you can imagine. And um, who sponsors that? Mississippi Extension Service and Adam Ronke, Mm -hmm. who is, uh, in fact, we need to get Adam back on, don't we? (laughs) He hasn't been on in a few few months. But um, Adam Ronke pretty much coordinates it, but he has a lot of help. I should remember different people's names because I think there are a lot of people involved. It's a big production. Adam is the one that runs the Central Mississippi program, Mm -hmm. and then there's a a coastal program as well that's run by, I think his name's Eric. Okay. I've forgotten his full name. Well, yeah, and if Adam or Eric are listening, call in and you can tell us more about the program. Right. So uh, have you always been interested in snakes? Yes, I have. All my life, I have always loved animals of all kinds. And I I think I have a really soft spot for snakes because they're one of the most misunderstood animals. And often when people misunderstand an animal, they fear it and they want to kill it. And there are so many people that just say the only good snake is a dead snake. And I wanted to find a way to help people understand them and gain an appreciation for them. So that's why I started studying the medical benefits, because I felt like that was a concrete connection of how people can benefit directly from snakes. So um, what advice would you give to someone who maybe a family member or a friend was deathly afraid of snakes? Is there a way you think that they can make it to where it's not so a horrible experience even thinking about one or encountering one? Well, in talking to several people and in my own experience, 
I now am much more comfortable with snakes um, that I would see out in the wild because I know now how to identify the venomous species. In Mississippi, we only have six venomous species. So if you can identify those six, then you'll know that anything else you see, you don't need to be afraid of it. Just, you know, step away from it. Let it go on about its business. Um, I know that I can't make everybody like snakes, but hopefully I can help them appreciate them just by learning about them. And through education, you can alleviate a lot of fears for people. And from uh, previous shows we've had about snake, I, snakes aren't really overly fond of humans either, I, I take it. No, no, they would much <laughs> rather go the other direction. Um, so what, what is the difference between venom and poison? Well, venom typically has to be injected, whereas poison needs to be ingested by swallowing or sometimes through the skin. But venom typically has to be injected through uh, a needle-like apparatus. Okay. And as we mentioned earlier, the name of your talk is Why Snakes Are Important to Humans, Ecological, Medical, and Economic Benefits. Uh, So give us a general idea of, of, of how the talk goes. Well, I'm going to to talk to um, some of the general ecological and economic benefits um, like rodent control. And then on the the medical benefits, I'm going to talk about how medicine is created from venom and the process that scientists go through. Um, And in the middle of that, I'm going to throw out just some general educational information on some specific Mississippi snakes and several species around the world. We're visiting today on Creature Comforts with Kathy Costello, who is going to have a talk on August 1st at noon at the the, uh, Mississippi Museum of Natural Science about snakes and their benefits to humans. Uh, If you want to call in with a question or a comment, the phone number is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. You can email the show animals at mpbonline.org. If you have a snake question or if you want to Uh, Just tell us about a brush with wildlife that you might have had recently or a wildlife question. Uh, Give us a call. We'll see what we can do for you this morning. Um, So do you have any insight as to how science ever decided that, hey, maybe we could get something good from this snake venom? I mean, is it just sort of a natural curiosity of people who are in that field to say, let's make something productive out of this or see if we can get something productive out of it? I think that, yes, it probably started with curiosity to see why is it that venom has certain effects on a human body or on their prey. And it's actually been studied for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. So we're not the first ones to, to uh, realize that, uh, that there is some benefit to these uh, creatures that a lot of us just can't stand the sight of. That's right. <laughs> Uh, We need to take a quick break. When we get back, we will continue our discussion with Kathy Costello. We're talking about snakes and their uh, benefit to humans. Uh, If you have a question or a comment, you can give us a call. The number is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. Send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. We'll be back with more after this.
An evening of jazz can be just what the doctor ordered. Join me, Meredith Michelle, with WJSU's Evening Jazz, 7 to 10 weeknights on MPB Music Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. We're visiting today with Kathy Costello, who has an upcoming lecture at the museum. It's going to be August 1st at noon, and it's Why Snakes Are Important to Humans, Ecological, Medical, and Economic Benefits. Uh, Kathy is a master naturalist who knows a lot about snakes, so if you have a snake-related question, you can give us a call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven. Six seven two seven four six four. You can email the show. It's animals at mpbonline.org. We've got Sarah on the line from Jackson as our first caller. Good morning, Sarah. Go ahead, please. Hey, I was just calling to ask if the snake had to be killed to, to get the venom. Okay. Kathy? No, it does not. The process of what they call milking a snake to get the venom causes no harm to the snake as long as it's properly handled by someone who's experienced in handling and milking a snake. All right. Okay, thank you. All right. You're welcome. Thanks for the call, Sarah. And yeah, I think I've seen pictures of it. It's almost like they have a cup with a like a something over the top, and the, they just stick the snake's fangs in there, and it just does its thing, I guess. That's right, and sometimes they'll press on the side of the snake's head where the venom glands are to kind of encourage a little bit more of the venom to come out. So how much uh, venom can a snake give at one time? I'm, uh, obviously, it can regenerate, you know, because they have it all the time, but uh, when they're milking a snake, how much venom do you get out of a snake? Well, it depends on the snake. With some snakes, it's just a very tiny, tiny amount, and with some, it's it's more... Um, they measure it in, um, I believe, milligrams or micrograms. Mm-hmm. And is all is venom from all different kinds of snakes the same, or is it does it vary slightly with different uh, types of snakes? It varies incredibly. Even within the same species of snake, the venom can vary depending on where the snake is from, the age of the snake. And even its diet can have an impact on the composition of its venom. And so then various snake venoms are, uh, I guess, are involved in the different ways that they benefit humans. That's right. And when I have my lecture on Tuesday, August the 1st, I'll be going through several specific types of venom and uh, just a, a so that people can have a basic understanding of the different types of venom and what it does to either the human body or to a prey animal, and then the medical benefits that can come out of those specific types of venom. We've got another call on the line. By the way, we have some open phone lines. If you'd like to join in with a question or a comment this morning, a question regarding snakes, or if you've, as I said, had a brush with wildlife recently that you'd like to share with us or a wildlife question, give us a call. The phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Our email address, animals at mpbonline.org. Uh, Mike has called in from Tennessee. And, Mike, I think I uh, remember you calling having a, a, an issue with beavers. Uh, is that right? That's correct. Okay, go ahead. Well, I came up with this unique solution. I went up to their 
little house, which is a, a budding the dam on my lake, and I took a uh, long drill bit and drilled down into the house, inserted a PVC pipe, and then fed about eight, eight or ten gopher gassers into the pipe. And so far, I haven't had any more issues with my beavers. I think I killed them all. All right. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> it seemed to work. All right. Thanks for the update. So problem problem solved there. Uh, Mike had called in earlier with the, the beaver problem, so he found a way of, of beaver control. So thanks, Mike. Glad to see that things worked out well for you. Um, so, uh, Kathy, as we mentioned, we, your, your uh, lecture talks about ecological, medical, and economic benefits. Let's uh, take those kind of one by one. Uh, let's start out with ecological benefits. What sort of uh, ways do snakes help us there? Okay. Well, the ecological and economic benefits, they kind of go together. Um, one of the ways that they help the ecosystem is by helping to control rodent populations. And small snakes can help us with insect populations. And some snakes even help us with snake populations. <laughs> and since uh, rodents can spread diseases to humans, that helps protect our health. And rodents that get into a home or any other structure can do quite a bit of structural damage, chewing on the wires, the walls, and everything. And that is going to have great economic cost to, to anyone. So um, how, how many rodents can a snake i mean and i don't know a day a week a month are they prolific eaters <laughs> well that's a very good question uh depending on the size of the snake and the size of the prey that it eats it may not eat again for weeks or a month mm -hmm. so once it gets enough it knows to just to to, to knock off there right okay. right it's not going to stick around it's going to eat it's going to go off someplace to digest its meal and then it's going to come back if it knows that there are rodents still in that same area. Yeah, the system works pretty well because a snake is able to go a pretty long time without a meal if they need to. And then if they find like a nest of mice or a, a big infestation, they can eat several at one time and, you know, deal with your mouse problem and then go rest up a while. Well, that is better, yeah. especially for the folks that don't like the snakes. If they'll eat the rats when you're not looking, and then they go off yeah, to digest, and then everybody's yeah. happy, yeah. I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, we've got another caller on the line. We'll welcome Sue in from Columbus. Good morning, Sue. Hello. Go ahead. I am scared to death of snakes, and I miss out on a lot of stuff because I'm so afraid of them. Um, can't even stand to see a picture. I was just wondering if there's anything, especially about cottonmouth or moccasins, or copperhead that you could tell us that would make us feel better. <laughs> well, you have good reason to be afraid of those two snakes because, as I'm sure you know, they are venomous and they're very common in Mississippi. Um, I think the, the best thing to know is how to identify them. With a copperhead, most of the time they're going to be that lovely copper color, but not always. Sometimes they're kind of a gray. Their colors can vary anywhere in that range. But they always have what I call an hourglass pattern on their backs. Sometimes the hourglass is intact, and some in some places on the snake, the hourglass will be broken into two pieces. So that is the only snake in our area that's going to have that hourglass pattern. The 
Cotton mouth is often confused with other harmless water snakes, but a cotton mouth tends to stand its ground and gape its mouth open, showing that white cotton-like mouth, whereas water snakes tend to flee immediately and go underwater. And also when a cotton mouth is swimming, it typically, most of its body is above the water, Um, Whereas, for some reason, the water snakes tend to be a little bit more submerged. Does that help? Yes, it does. (laughs) And, you know, repeat the the Terry Vandevender thing. If you see a poisonous snake, take two steps backwards and walk away. Just watch them. Don't feel obligated to kill a snake. That's when people get hurt. And so many people say, well, I felt like I had to kill it. I think you'd be better off if you just get away from it, you know, unless it's threatening your child to get the child away first, get the Mm -hmm. pets away. But back up and walk away from it. That's right. A snake is not going to chase you. It it does not want to have anything to do with you. And if you simply take those few steps back and walk away from it, let it go on about its business, then you'll both be very happy. And I think Libby brings up a good point. If you somehow engage the snake and you try to kill it, maybe beat it with a shovel, whatever, and you don't succeed... Obviously, you then have irritated the snake, and then that you might be in trouble. That's right, because a snake will defend itself if it has to. Uh, most bites happen when people are harassing or trying to kill the snake. Even if you've got a broom or a rake or something like that, and you think that you're safe, a lot of people still end up bitten. It's much better to just leave the snake alone. All right. All right, uh, Sue, thanks for your call. The thing I would say, too, is if someone is afraid of snakes but wants to try to enjoy nature that maybe the first couple of times you go out there, you know, have someone with you. And and then when you see a snake or whatever, I think there's strength in numbers. You can maybe that person can remind you that, you know, it's there. We're here. Let's just ignore it, that kind of thing. So that might be a way to sort of become more comfortable with being in areas where you might come across a snake. Right. And also make a lot of noise. If you're walking through a forested area or even a a grassy area, make a lot of noise. Shuffle your feet. Speak a lot. Snakes can feel any vibrations. So if you're making a lot of of, uh, movement, they're going to know you're coming and they may just stay still and you may walk past them or they may go ahead and just run away. All right. Uh, We've got another call to get to. We're going to talk this time to Lee, who is in Ridgeland today. Good morning, Lee. Go ahead, please. Hi. I I had a question on how to tell a snake's poison. Okay. How to tell if a snake is, is venomous or not? Well, there are some typical characteristics of venomous snakes. Uh, Most of them will have the triangle-shaped head, the elliptical pupils, and there's a couple other things, but you have to get really close to see those characteristics. Uh, But not all snakes have, not all venomous snakes have those characteristics. There's always an exception. So really the best thing is to look at a lot of pictures of the venomous snakes in your area and learn to identify each one. And then if you see a snake, you can go through your list mentally. Is this one of those snakes? And if you're not sure, again, still leave the snake alone and walk away. All right. 
Uh, let's see. Let's go on. Next, we've got um, <coughs> Pat, who's in Savannah, Tennessee. Thanks for calling, Pat. You're on the air, so go ahead, please. Yes, uh, sir. Thank you for taking my call. I had an experience on Tuesday. I cleaned the garden bed out on my knees and pulled grass up, and nothing happened. Wednesday morning, I opened my front door, and a black snake, long black snake, was sliding across my door and he, as the ladies say, he ran from me, and I ran from him. <laughs> <laughs> so my question is, you know, what can I do about was he? What type of snake was it? It was a long black snake, and what can I do to protect my home? What can I put around the house, or what can I do to keep the snakes away? That's my question. Okay. Um, it's hard to say exactly what that snake was. It could have been a black racer. It could have been a, a black rat snake or several other typically black snakes in our area. Um, the best thing to do to deter snakes is to remove any potential food source. So like you were doing, you were cleaning out your flower bed. Make sure that stays clean. Um, make sure it's not overgrown. Make sure you don't have any piles of, say, firewood or other debris near your home because any little area like that is great habitat for rodents, and the snake is always going to follow the food source. And also I wonder if maybe cleaning out the garden, if she got rid of some of the brush or whatever, that might have kind of disturbed where the snake was, and possibly that's why it, it came out. And it may have, and he said, well, this isn't a good place for me to hang out. I need to go someplace else. So he was just looking for another place to find him some food. I like the way she said that. You know, they went that way and I went that way. So all's right. well that ends well in that situation, right. that's for sure. You did exactly the right thing. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, let's get a couple more calls before our next break. Uh, uh, we'll go next to Mikey in Mobile. Good morning, Mikey. Hey, this leads right into my question here. Um I know a lot of people who go, oh, well, I've seen a rat or I've seen a mouse. Well, you know, it's like people who say, well, there was a shark in the water, right? I mean, come on, they're everywhere. (laughs) They're ubiquitous. And as you say, so are snakes, you know, and I'm a friend of snakes. Um, uh, Never had any problem with them, don't intend to have any problem with them, and I live under quite wild conditions, not all of them neon. Uh, (laughs) But... uh, if someone puts out, people who are, say to me, well, I just put out some rat poison, or I just put out some rodent poison, and that takes care of everything, that seems to me like, well, you can kill a fly with a neon bomb, too. I mean, a, a, you know, a nuclear bomb. Um, it, it just seems to me to be such overkill. So the question that I'm getting at is, if you put that kind of stuff out not only you're going to have dead dogs and cats and squirrels and all kinds of other mammals around but if a snake comes along and eats something that's been poisoned does it kill the snake that is an excellent question and i wish i had an answer for you because i have actually wondered Libby? Yeah, well, the first thing is the snake is not going to eat the poison because the snake wants a warm, live mammal, generally, and so he's not going to be attracted to eat the poison. But I don't think that the poison will kill him. It's not. He's not going to ingest it. The only way that the s- snake is going to 
die from the the rat poison, I guess, is if the rat ate enough poison, mm-hmm. there could be a problem for the snake. But mainly, I, I think what they're talking about is getting rid of their rats so that it wouldn't attract a snake. But like you say, there's a lot of risk comes with using rat poison. It's just a very dangerous thing to do in the environment. All right, uh, Mikey, thanks for your call. Uh, Let's take another quick break. When we get back, we're going to continue our discussion. We're visiting today with Kathy Costello, who on August 1st at noon has a lecture at the Museum of uh, Natural Science in Jackson titled Why Snakes Are Important to Humans, Ecological, Medical, and Economic Benefits. We'll be back with more of the show after this. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. I'm Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Our guest today is Kathy Costello. She is a master naturalist who has a lecture at the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science uh, August 1st at noon, and it's called Why Snakes Are Important to Humans, Ecological, Medical, and Economic Benefits. We've been talking a little bit about what uh, Kathy will cover in her lecture and also taking your general snake questions. Also, if you uh, have had a brush with wildlife recently that you'd like to share with us, give us a call. We've got some open phone lines. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 877 672-7464. We've got some calls to get to, but Kathy, first we've talked about uh, the economic and ecological benefits. Let's talk a little bit about uh, health benefits, uh, how snakes uh, help human health. Well, they certainly help our health by helping us to control rodent populations because they can spread disease. But the most exciting part of my research has been learning how Snake venom is being used to create medicines to help humans to save human lives and to treat human ailments. So uh, give us some some details on that. Okay. Well, there are several medications right now that are being used for people, and one is called ACE inhibitors. They were created originally from a particular toxin found in the venom of the Jararaca pit viper that's found in South America. It's used to treat high blood pressure and since the invention of ACE inhibitors, thanks to the snake, high blood pressure is now a treatable disease, whereas before it was typically deadly. Mm-hmm. All right, we'll uh, continue with that uh, in a minute, but we've, as I said, got some calls to get to, starting again in Madison with Jim's call. Good morning, Jim. Good morning. Um, I read an article written by a man in Western North Carolina this week um, reporting that he had observed as many as 20 to 25 uh, copperheads gathered at the base of an oak tree when uh, cicadas were emerging and that they had apparently gathered in order to eat the cicadas as they began climbing the trees. Um, That seems somewhat... Um, unlikely to me, and I was just wondering if your guests might have any uh, familiarity with that sort of behavior by snakes. Well, I can tell you that snakes are born alive, 
And it's typically the smaller ones. I'm, I'm sorry, not snakes, not all snakes, but copperheads give live birth. And immediately they're ready to feed. So it's possible a female had just given birth and those young were there ready to, to eat the cicada because that would be one of the typical things that the young ones would eat. Right, Libby? Did he mention that it w- they were small snakes? Uh, he did not mention the size of the snakes, no. I've not it's heard that a large snake would want to eat a cicada, but yeah, um, he didn't say, yeah, he didn't say anything. But he didn't say anything about there having yellow tails, yeah. and I think that um, juvenile. Uh, um, yes, right. they would have yellow tails. Yeah, right. You're right. That's a good one, and we should probably ask some more people about that. Um, I will say that I observed this weekend yellow-bill cuckoo following cicadas and wanting to eat. It's great food for, I guess, a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Squirrels, flying you. squirrels, particularly, and birds. I like to eat them. Mm-hmm. My dachshund loves them, too. <laughs> yes, dogs can, yes. All right, uh, Jim, thanks for the call. Yeah, could you imagine to a young snake seeing all those cicadas emerging? That was like a buffet or something mm-hmm. there. They w- would have loved that, that's right. for sure. Yeah. Oh, we've got another call to get to. This time we're going to Liberty as we say good morning to Zaria. Go ahead. You're on the air, please. Good morning. Uh, thank you very much for taking my call. Uh, I just want to ask the question, you know, you hear a lot of, People say a lot of things about how to deter snakes or dis- uh, discourage them from coming around. Is there any truth to you be able to sprinkle some lime or uh, some moth balls to get rid of snakes? No. Uh, some people swear by it, but from experts, I've heard that it's not really effective and you're much more likely to uh, contaminate and uh, damage and do harm to your immediate environment, to poison your environment around your home, and to potentially poison yourself by using some of those snake deterrents. And so we've uh, often talked on the show uh, some better things would be to, as you mentioned, uh, look for wood piles, uh, cut down the grass, that sort of thing. What are some other maybe little things that people might do around the house to somewhat dissuade snakes from being around? Well, again, you just mostly want to make sure there's not a food source for them because they're not going to go where there's not a food source. They they are typically following and tracking the the prey that they're looking for. So if you just keep things clean and mowed and uh, don't have trash piles around your house, um, that that's the probably the best and most effective thing you can do to deter them. Okay. All right, uh, thanks for calling in. You know, I remember with the, when we had Snake Day and it brought some snakes into the studio, I was fascinated by uh, their tongues and how much sensory input they get from just sticking their tongue out and sort of wiggling a little bit. Right, right. They're incredibly sensitive. They basically taste the air with their tongues, and that forked tongue allows them to tell which way the prey went. Did it go right? Did it go left? And so they're able to track it down quite accurately. We're visiting on Creature Comforts with Kathy Costello. She is uh, a master naturalist who has a lecture at the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science on August 1st at noon. It's called Why Snakes Are Important to Humans, Ecological, Medical, and Economic Benefits. So you told us about ACE inhibitors. It's a um, a high blood pressure treatment uh, that we've developed from venom of snakes. Uh, Do you have another example of of a medical breakthrough that uh, snakes have helped us with? Absolutely. A snake found in Mississippi called our southeastern pygmy rattlesnake has led to the creation of a blood thinner called Integralin. It's used to treat heart disease, blood pressure, 
and it can even stop oncoming heart attacks in its tracks. Okay. Uh, anything else? Um, there is a stroke treatment that's been created from two of the fertilant snakes found in South America. Um, there's a, a toxin in these snakes' venom that is called batroxabin, and it has created a medicine called defibrase that is used to treat people that have had certain types of strokes. So it's interesting. We have uh, the ACE inhibitors help with high blood pressure. We've got something that helps with strokes, and then the other one was about heart attacks. So obviously... We got the blood going in there. <laughs> Is that sort of what's combining or the, the one key element that combines all these things? Right. When you have hemotoxic venom, uh, it affects the blood in various ways, depending on the particular toxins. And those types of toxins are very useful in looking at anything that affects the human blood circulatory system. Now, there are also others, um, like the neurotoxin, that are being researched into potential treatments for neurological illnesses like Parkinson's and Alzheimer's. That's interesting. Uh, we've got another call to get to. It's uh, Dougley this time, and he's called from Calhoun. Good morning. Go ahead, please. I just wanted to share an experience about a bird and a snake that happened the other day. Uh, the snake was crawling across my driveway and was going just easing along, and all of a sudden there was this bird came over and then made a quick turn and made a dive into the snake. And I mean, that snake took off, and he was gone. The bird made another dive, too. I just did not realize that the birds were so good about protecting you from snakes. It was a brown thrush. I was going to ask what, yeah, thrushes and mockingbirds, they're great at, yeah, at deterring snakes. And, you know, snakes do travel up trees and eat bird eggs sometimes, and that... um. Either that bird had had a bad experience with the snake, or he just instinctively was was trying to to get rid of him. But I just fascinated. I and I really do like your show very much. I think it's great from bear, black bears to birds to snakes this week. All right. Thank you. Thank you. And if you if you have ideas for shows, give us an email. Let us know. Appreciate the call. Good to hear from you this morning. we got another call to get to. We're going to uh, Nina, who's called in today. Good morning, Nina. Good morning. Um, I've got a question about some holes in my backyard. And I have seen snakes, uh, snakes, snakes, whatever, go down these holes. And I've got several of them, and they're about as wide as maybe half the full length of my thumb. And they're round, and they don't have exit mounds, so to speak, around them. Uh, what kind of snake would be doing that? The snake can excavate a hole, but he can use the hole that some kind of a, usually a mammal has made. Oh, okay. Um, it, so it, um, gosh, uh, whether it's a mole or a vole, something made the holes. Could, now, it's pretty deep, huh? You're saying the whole snake went into the, the hole. hole. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's the only answer I would have is that some kind of a mammal made the hole and then the snake, okay, so the snake went into it. The hole itself. No, he can it's enlarge it and you know, hole. yeah, use it okay. to his advantage. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks. I, I 
tell people I said, don't mess with my snake. I don't have rats, and I don't want them. I guess I could ask one more question now. Are you in sandy soil? Would you have a turtle? Clay. Clay, yeah. That's probably some kind of a mammal then, yeah. Yeah, like a gopher tortoise can dig a hole in sandy soil and... And live in the hole, but then snakes can appropriate that hole. All right, Nina, thanks for your call. Uh, Let's take one final break this hour. We are visiting today with Kathy Costello, the master naturalist who has a lecture at the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science on August 1st at noon titled Why Snakes Are Important to Humans, Ecological, Medical, and Economic Benefits. We'll be back to wrap up Creature Comforts after this break. If you're a sustaining member of MPB Think Radio, we appreciate your support of our programs. To become a sustainer, go to mpbonline.org. Welcome back. You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. I'm Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. We're visiting today with master naturalist Kathy Costello. She has a lecture at the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science on August 1st at noon. It's called Why Snakes Are Important to Humans, Ecological, Medical, and Economic Benefits. So we've been talking all about snakes. We've been getting some great phone calls in. We've got a little bit of time left in the hour, so if you'd like to call in, it's one eight seven seven. MPB ring one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can email the show animals at mpbonline.org. We're going to go to Purvis. Suzanne has called in today. Good morning, Suzanne. Hey, good morning. Go ahead. I have a question um, about. I really appreciate the description of um, the cottonmouth. I live on a farm out in Purvis, and there, I have several ponds, and sometimes there are snakes. And you know, I'm guilty of being the scared person who thinks. They need to be dead. So <laughs> I appreciate knowing about the cotton mouth, the hourglass, where they hold their mouth and how they swim. But what about water moccasins? And one time we killed a snake um, and put it on Facebook, and people said that was a hog-nosed snake. You shouldn't have killed it. It was innocent. But <coughs> how, how do I tell cotton I mean, a uh, water moccasin from other snakes? In some cases, it is kind of hard to do because so many of them have similar colorations and they resemble each other. Um, Typically, the cotton mouth is going to stand its ground and gape that mouth open. Mm -hmm. Uh, A hognose snake is always going to have that little scale on the end of its nose that kind of makes it look Mm -hmm. like a pig nose. Right. But what about water moccasins? Uh, water moccasins and, and cotton mouths are the, the same, the same oh. snake. Oh. Well, I had no idea. Now, there are some people that will call <clears throat> any water snake a water moccasin. But That's true. Most That's people true. are referring to a, a venomous snake, and that's that cotton mouth. And, uh, you know, when they're in the water, the swimming, mm-hmm. the fact that the the cotton mouth, the venomous snake, is really up on top of the water. Mm-hmm. Whereas, okay. you know, it's a water snake's environment more so, I guess, and he's down in the water. But um, um, sometimes a, a, a cotton mouth water moccasin can get a long way from the water, and then it right. is maybe surprising and a little mm-hmm. bit of confusion as to what it is. And um, They also <clears throat> migrate, so you can see them on roadways and... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've seen them on the uh, patio after a rain and stuff. But so, if it's a grayish color snake, then it's probably not a moccasin. Is that correct? 
Well, again, color variations uh, within a species are very common. It can be very black to gray. Um, It's always going to have kind of a a mottled print. It's kind of hard to describe exactly. What I would recommend is looking online and just Googling cottonmouth or water moccasin. Look at a whole bunch of different pictures, and that may help you get to where you can identify them more quickly. Okay. And if what if what you killed really was a hog nose, they have a whole particular set of behaviors, and they're a very interesting snake. And Mm -hmm. uh, they are kind of rare, so it is one that we wouldn't want to kill. But you might look those up too, so that you can identify those. Particularly if that that happened on your own property. Yes, ma'am. It would be nice for you to know if you have hog nose snakes and where they are, because they would be a nice thing to protect. Okay. Well, thank right. you so much. Yeah. Appreciate it. Thanks for the call. But, you know, that's a great suggestion about, you know, Googling the snake because, you know, we all know when you do a search and you click on the images tab, there's just bunches of them. So that would be a good way you'd get to see the different colorations and that kind of thing. And I think that that would make folks a lot more confident when they go out uh, knowing, you know, what to look for, what to avoid, and then what is not a venomous snake and just to, to let it go. Um, all right. So what is uh, what is the cure for snake venom? Well, there is antivenom that has been created for probably all venomous snakes around the world, especially the ones that commonly bite people. Um, it's used, well, it's created by injecting a small amount of the venom into a horse. And then over time, they add more and more venom to the horse, and it develops antibodies. And then those antibodies are extracted from the horse's blood without killing the horse. And then it's it's used to create the antivenom to help counteract it, the venom in a, a person. Now, I've heard that some people will willingly inject themselves with venom in small doses to build a tolerance. But as we spoke uh, before the show started, uh, you said that that doesn't does sound like a very good idea. I would never, ever recommend anyone do that. And all of these medicines that I'm talking about that are created from venom does not involve anyone being injected or given the venom, the actual venom in any form. I have heard of people doing that, and some people say that it it helps them with different things, but I just think that's an incredibly bad idea because you never know if you're going to have an allergic reaction to it. And in cases like that, the antivenom may be even worse than the venom. And it sounds to me like that's someone who has heard maybe how antivenom is made and has sort of muddled the process in their mind because, again, you were saying even in the horses, it's the antibodies that they develop from the venom that, that we then make into the antivenom. So it's not quite you know, one-on-one kind of thing, like just injecting yourself with, with venom would, would seem to indicate, so. Right. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll agree with you that. I'll, 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 uh, I'll stay away from the, the venom. So <laughs> we, we talked about uh, some of the venomous snakes uh, in Mississippi. We mentioned the copperhead and the cottonmouth. What are some other venomous snakes that we would find here in Mississippi? Well, we have three rattlesnakes, the eastern diamondback rattlesnake, the timber or canebrake rattlesnake, and we have the pygmy rattlesnake. And then the sixth one would be the eastern coral snake. Okay. And that's the one that uh, has the color similar to the 
Because I can never remember. That's another poem I never. What is it? Black, right. Red it's, on black, friend of. What is it? That, it's um, <laughs> red, yellow, kill a fellow. Okay. So that's the coral snake. If red touches black, then it's a friend of Jack, or some people say venom lack. Okay. So if red touches yellow, it's very bad. Okay. <laughs> It'll kill you. Uh, we've got uh, Anne on the line from uh, Past Chris Jam. Go ahead, Anne. Yes, good morning, y'all. I don't know if you've touched this subject or not, but I have um, two king snakes that live on my property. I've had them live here for a very long time. I have been told that a king snake is a great thing to have because they keep the poisonous snakes away. Is that true? That is true. King snakes do like to prey on other snakes. And there's been a study done that has shown a correlation with the, in a particular area between the number of king snakes and the number of copperheads. The more king snakes you have, the fewer copperheads you're going to have. If you find a lot of copperheads, then chances are there aren't going to be very many king snakes in that area. Well, I'd like to let your listeners know um, to identify a king snake. And please, please, I don't kill any snakes because they're all creatures. Everything was put here for a reason. But if they don't know what a king snake is, find out what it is. Don't kill it. Keep it on your property. It's a friend. Um, and mine have been here. I've had one that's been here 20 years. So I'm very wow. happy with my king snake. You're and very fortunate. Yeah, it's a beautiful snake. Yeah. It is. And so just the listeners that are afraid of snakes and kill them because they, they don't know, um, have a king snake, have a friend, be happy. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. All right, Ann, thanks for your call. You know, earlier we talked about poisonous versus venomous, and Jim emails in with something. He says, uh, poisonous means it's harmful if you bite it. Venomous means Mm -hmm. it's harmful if it bites you. So that's that's how he remembers the difference. So that's very very good. good. The snakes are... Are venomous and they have venom and yeah. I'm, I apologize if I had have said poison, but well, I think that we, I, do. I think we probably commonly use the words interchangeably. Mm-hmm. But it's good to know, mm-hmm. and it is interesting how they're they're not the same and they're kind of yeah. related, but so almost kind of like the opposite. But that was a good way to. But, yeah, we'll even see posters that say the poisonous snakes of North America and that kind of thing, but actually they are venomous. Yeah. All right, uh, that's going to wrap us up for today. Just one final reminder, if you are interested in uh, the discussion that we had today and want to know more, you can attend the lecture that Kathy is giving at the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. It's August 1st at noon. And again, why snakes are important to humans, ecological, medical, and economic benefits. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio. Funding provided in part by Wildlife Mississippi, a statewide organization celebrating its 20th year of conserving Mississippi's land, waters, and wildlife, and from contributions from listeners like you. Our show is produced by Java Chapman, and our call screener today was Michelle McAdoo. So for Libby Hartfield and our guest, Kathy Costello, I'm Kevin Farrell. Inviting you to stay tuned. Up next at 10, it's MPB's Season Pass with Jay White. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for another Creature Comforts. It's heard only on MPB Think Radio.